Well, amen. Well, I'll warn you coming into this that uh, I'm losing my voice a little bit because I don't, for whatever reason, went to a high school football game Friday and with no kids on the team was just screaming. And the only person screaming louder than me was some lunatic sitting behind me that was uh, high-fiving little old ladies and about knocking them over. And that lunatic was uh, Pastor Brandon. So, uh, yeah, so I'm losing my voice a little bit. So if it goes out, no, it's from, uh, from high school football. For me, but uh, I want to say good morning to you. It is uh, an honor to be here and to have a chance to open uh, God's Word uh, with you this morning. I've had the chance to preach a good bit uh, this year, but I, I will say, uh, coming into this week preparing this sermon, I felt uh, weirdly rusty a little bit. I, I, I probably have rewritten this exact sermon maybe three or four times this week, and. Uh, in fact, in what I was trying to share with Brandon and trying to give him a heads up of where I felt like the sermon was supposed to go, uh, what I shared with him come Friday was not at all what uh, we are going to be hearing uh, today. But a few weeks ago, Steve Stewart opened up his sermon by telling kind of a funny story about uh, uh, monogram towels and uh, putting letters in uh, a humorous order. And I really uh, thought that was a clever way to start a sermon as he kind of brought that full circle at the end. But Actually, a little bit about, about me is I'm not so good of a storyteller. Uh, that, is not, that is not my lane that I run in. In fact, I'm actually quite jealous uh, that, uh, of pastors that can uh, tell these truths of the content of Scripture and do that in the form of graphs and stories uh, and things like that. And I, I say that to say I tried all week to try to figure out a way to, to teach what I was supposed to teach today in a way that I thought that Connection Church would be uh, used to maybe, but what I arrived at over the course of that was just that that was not going to be the best way that I could serve you uh, this morning in trying to teach like other pastors. So I'm just going to teach like me. I'm just going to preach in the way that I feel like God has uh, gifted me. So all of that to say, if today is a disaster, don't worry, Brandon will be back up here next week. So with that said, turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. We're actually going to look at Several things in Ephesians. We're going we're gonna to jump to a couple different places. But I want to give you my goal here on the front end. Here's my goal. This is what I want to accomplish today in my time with you. I want to provide our church with a vision for why coming to a church service, much like this morning, is the greatest opportunity you will have in a week. Let me say that another way. Think about the things that you look forward to the most in a given week, football games, payday, a cheat meal, date night, vacation. My goal this morning is to show from the Bible that gathering on Sunday morning with other Christians is one of the greatest gifts that you can give yourself. For all the millennials in the room, me included, there is no higher form of self-care than gathering with other Christians on Sunday morning, than gathering with the church. For my Gen Xers in the room, gathering with the church is the greatest investment of your resources and the most practical use of your time over anything else. Gathering with Christians to worship Jesus is even more important than the money you drop in an offering plate. For my baby boomers in the room, 
There's no more respectable and dignifying moment than the time spent together with other Christians to worship Jesus. What we are doing right now in this room, for many of us, may be the most important, most powerful, most transformative moments of our week. Perhaps you're asking the question at this point, well, yeah, Pastor Jordan, I get that. Church is important. Going to church is important. What's the big deal? Here's the thing. If I started at the end of any given row in this auditorium and uh, started interviewing you, I wouldn't make it past maybe the second person before I was able to arrive at a very real story about how the church has hurt you or a story about how the church has wounded you. Some of those stories would be stories of abuse and severe hurt. Some of those stories, if we're being honest, would be about petty differences. But then some of those stories would be misunderstandings with potentially, hopefully, ways that we could resolve that misunderstanding. But here's what I know, and I highlight that for this reason. All of the hurts... All of the misunderstandings have caused many of us to have a very low view of the church itself. We come and we sit and we listen, but deep down, the wounds keep us from being all in with the church. The wounds make us feel like either the institution of the church is too flawed or just the people are just straight up too jacked up. Either way, I'm out. To one degree or another, I know this describes many of, many of us, but even still, even still, despite the hurt, despite the misunderstandings, and even, yes, despite the abuse, and I take that seriously, despite those things, my goal this morning remains the same, to provide us with a vision for why the very thing we are doing this morning is the most important moment of our week. And not just what we are doing, but the very people you are gathered with, the people sitting to your left and to your right, these people have the greatest potential to impact your life more than any other group of people. And that's what I hope to convince you of this morning. I think I have a pretty big task, but don't worry. You're not going to have to take my word for it. Let's jump into Ephesians. I'm going to give us a running start into chapter 2. What we see in the book of Ephesians is the Apostle Paul writing to a group of churches in the region of Ephesus. Ephesus was a a big city in its day, and its culture expanded much further than the city limits of that city. Much like saying, I'm from Atlanta, means you're from most of the state of Georgia at this point. I say that to say a letter written to the Ephesians would have had wide circulation and would not have been contained within the city limits. The Apostle Paul had spent many years in Ephesus itself teaching the followers of Jesus that he found there the truths of the gospel, but also leading other people who didn't worship Jesus, that would have come from pagan backgrounds, and showing them how they could have a relationship with Jesus. Consider this. We see this scene in Acts chapter 19, that the name of Jesus was having such an effect on people that it was disrupting the economy. People were ceasing to buy these little silver idols 
and the workforce behind the making of those silver idols were so disgruntled and so hostile that the government had to intervene. However, while that sounds like a really powerful thing and something that maybe we would even today be envious of, it's like, man, I wish we had that kind of influence. What's happening in the book of Ephesians? What we see is that the Apostle Paul is, a, is addressing a few problems that over the course of his time having left there had crept into the church. That's what I want to get at. He seems to be explaining to God's people who they are, why gathering as the church matters, and how living for Christ makes a difference in this world and in the heavens. Maybe even saying it that way doesn't really give a full picture of what Paul is dealing with. What we discover when we look at Ephesians closely is that people were asking questions like this. Let me see if you resonate with this. You mean I have to worship with them? You mean part of honoring Jesus is liking who? You mean God is glorified by me forgiving that? You mean my people have to hang out with those people? What do you think? You ready to sign up for a church like that? At this point, Paul has now probably been away from the church in Ephesus for several years, and word has now gotten back to Paul of all of these strained relationships in the church. The church is there having a hard time finding unity. They are divided on things like race and lifestyle and preferences. Jews are not crazy about this whole inclusion of the Gentiles thing, and the Gentiles are not crazy about giving up some of their habits and possessions in order to follow Jesus. And this is what I love. Paul looked at that situation. He looked at that situation, and he writes the book of Ephesians. I find that to be incredibly encouraging. How applicable is God's word today? Amen? Here's what I want you to see. When the church at Ephesus couldn't get along, wouldn't cooperate together, got tired of each other, got tired of meeting together, when the life of the church ceased to be life-giving to Christians, Paul pointed them back to two things, who they were and why they existed. And that's a model I want to follow this morning as I seek to convince you of how important what we are doing here is to get us through the hurts, to get us through the abuses, the frustrations, we need to be reminded who the church actually is and why we exist. So let's start right there. Who are we, church? Who is the church? At the most basic level, here's who we are. We are a people transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the most basic level, we are a people transformed by the gospel. We see this clearly in many places in Scripture, but let's start in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read this for us. It should be on your screen. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It's a funny way to start describing the church. This is true of us. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to this worldly age, according to the ruler of the atmospheric domain, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We, too, all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And by nature, by our nature, we were children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, 
who is abundant in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with the Messiah even though we were dead in trespasses. By grace you are saved. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Here's what we see clearly when we read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We were dead. This is true of us, church. This is true of, true of you, Christian. We were dead. We were trespassers. We were sinners. We were cooperators with God's enemy. We were children of wrath. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. However, we were loved by God despite being God's enemies. And we were saved by grace alone so that no one could boast. And given every bit of the same inheritance that God has for his only son, that inheritance is now ours. Finally, for the first time, we are made truly alive. That's Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. We are today, church, God's people here on earth, called by the name of Jesus, fulfilling God's purposes in the world until Christ returns. That's Ephesians 2.10. In other words, let's look at the four cracks in the foundation that we've been looking at. In other words, we are those people that have heard a clear call to follow Jesus. We are those people who have been called to fullness in Jesus. We are those people that bear the name of Jesus. Those people are called the church. That's who we are. And just in case you don't see the connection between who Paul is writing to and to the church today, I'm going to do something just for fun. Let's look back at Ephesians 1 verse 1. I'm going to read it, and I need some audience participation in answering a question that I'm going to ask. Ephesians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the saints and believers in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. And here is my very simple question. Who is Paul writing to, according to Ephesians 1, verse 1? Saints and believers. Saints and believers. Maybe somebody's translation says it a different way. Mine says saints and believers. Anybody got anything different? God's people. Amen. God's people. Paul is addressing everything that we just saw declared in Ephesians chapter 2. It cannot be more clear from Scripture that this is not written to paid professional pastors. This is not even written to apostles or prophets or evangelists. This is written to the everyday Christian living in Ephesus. Let's look at Ephesians 2, verses 22 through 23. Paul greets them. He gives them encouragement. He tells them what he loves so much about them. 
And then he declares Jesus, the Jesus that they worship in this way. I love this. Ephesians 2, 22 through 23. And he put everything, God put everything under his feet, his being Christ. God put everything under Christ's feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Paul connects the saints and believers to the church, Christ's body, the fullness of the one who fills all things. And this is what I love. This isn't just true of a Middle Eastern city in the first century. Let's jump ahead to Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to read this to you. You don't have to turn there. This is Revelation 2, verses 1 through 4. This is Jesus writing to the church at Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven gold lampstands says, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil. You have, been test, you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. You also possess endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name and have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. There's a lot that we could unpack there, but, but what I love is this, is that this banner, the church, is held by the church at Ephesus, these people, the Christians that gather in the name of Jesus. This banner over them has flown the church. And it's not just true for them here. It's true for eternity until Christ returns. And then we jump back and we see that it's personal for Jesus writing back to the church at Ephesus because as he describes his defense of the church at Ephesus, that you have lost your first love Let's see this in Ephesians 1, 15 and 16. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. There was an uncharacteristic love among the Christians in Ephesus, and Jesus remembers that personally, and he remembers it for all time. What I wanted out of that was just for your eyes personally to see the text itself. This isn't some slick trick with words that I'm trying to pull over your eyes. I want you to see this, that Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes this clear. The church is made of those who follow Christ. The saints and believers that were present in Ephesus are those who he is uh, allowing to carry his name for all of time. Saints and believers in verse 1 gather together in a location around the scripture in the name of Jesus. These people, I want you to explicitly see these are people, not an institution, who follow Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, exhibiting love for one another and love for God. Yes, they're led by pastors, but they're not ruled by pastors. The people are exercising their gifts, engaging their calling, praising the name of Jesus, remembering Christ's work on the cross, inviting the Holy Spirit to move and to save and to bring life. Friends, are you getting a vision yet that the church is just not what we do on Sunday? Church, this is who you are. And if that doesn't get you jacked up enough, Paul takes it even further. 
He reminds the church at Ephesus who they are, but he also reminds them why they exist. So, why does the church exist? Is it to provide services? Is it to meet needs? Let's look at Ephesians 3, verses 4 through 12. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight about the mystery of the Messiah. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body and partners of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of the Messiah and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may may be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to the purpose of the ages which he made in the Messiah, Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness, access, and confidence through faith in him. What we see is that God has made something particularly clear to Paul that he's been saving for this moment. Think about that. Think about Abraham. Think about the promised land. Think about Moses. Think about them sojourning in the desert. Think about the Red Sea. Think about all of these incredible stories that we see in the Old Testament. And what Paul is saying is that God has been storing a particular wisdom for this moment. All of God's plans and actions have been building to this. This is Ephesians 3, verses 4 through 5. The mystery of God's will has been revealed, and this is the mystery, that all nations now have access to God alongside the Jewish people through Christ. They are co-heirs, members of the same body. That's Ephesians 3, verse 6. This mystery was saved until the time of Paul because we even get a reason why. We get a reason for why this mystery was held for this. Because God wanted his multifaceted wisdom to be made known through the church to the entire universe. Now, I don't know the last thing that you did that somebody looked at it and said, man, that's some multifaceted wisdom right there. Uh, That's not described in many of the things that I have done. But Paul reserves this phrase of God's multifaceted wisdom is seen in this. And what is it? It's that God's wisdom is to be made known through the church. This glorious news about a Messiah, this this bringing together of the entire universe into one body is to be made known through the church. In other words, what is the church's purpose? To put God's wisdom regarding the redemption of the world on display. Church, that is why you exist. The church the people who identify Jesus as their Lord and Savior, by its very existence, says to the authorities of the world and the authorities of heaven that God's ways are not man's ways. The church puts God's wisdom on display that how he values things is not how man values things. 
the church puts God's wisdom on display, their redemption is still occurring because even though Jesus is crucified, the tomb is empty. The church puts God's wisdom on display that there's still hope for the most broken of people because he's left people behind to be his hands and feet to the broken. And the church puts God's wisdom on display that there's hope for people to experience a clear call to follow Jesus. And the church puts God's wisdom on display that there's still hope for people to grow into the fullness of Jesus. Church, it's time for us to own who we are and embody why we exist. And here's what Ephesians invites you to this morning. If you call yourself a Christian, you have a clear call to be part of the people of Jesus. There is not a biblical argument to be made for following Jesus apart from the body of Christ. In other words, there's no solo Christianity. There's no replacing the church. Why? Because Jesus didn't die for the church just for us to get fed up with it and find another means to follow him. Maybe you're saying at this point, all right, cool, I get it. I'm all in. How do we do that? Everything that you've been describing so far, how are we supposed to accomplish that? Here's the thing. Christ has not given us an exact blueprint on how, quote unquote, churching is to occur or how that should be accomplished. There's not a a rubric for this. However, I would say that there's something better. There's an inspired text of scripture that we can look to. He's given us this story of scripture and that story tells us everything from how the world was created to the fact that Christ is gonna return and make all things new. So when it comes to how should the church live out who we are and why we exist, what I see in the story of Scripture are a few characteristics. There's three I want to share with you this morning. To answer the question, how does the church display who it is and why it exists, characteristic number one, we rehearse. We rehearse both why we exist and who we are. How do we do that? By opening Scripture retelling the good news of the gospel, remembering the person of Christ, loving one another while we are here, singing praises to God. All of those things help us to rehearse the truth of the gospel, which leads us then to display the gospel in every area of our lives. Think back to what we spent most of our time talking about today. The church exists to be a light to the world. We gather on Sunday mornings as an extension of God's desire to further redemption in the world. Jordan, are you saying that attending a church is on par with saving the world? I would say it depends on one thing and one thing only. Do you come to, quote, unquote, see the church or do you come to be the church? If you come just to see, and I don't want this to sound harsh, but if you come just to see the church, then you're either a disobedient Christian that's not living in light of who you are, or you are somebody who needs to experience God's redeeming love for the first time. Here's the thing. I say that because of this. No good comes of people not keeping their word. No good comes of people not keeping their word. What do you mean by that? 
Well, it's like watching a coworker or an athlete agree to play a certain role, but then not giving any effort. You know what I mean? You know, you know that feeling of, dude, you signed up for this role. The very least you could do is give effort. For a Christian, you have publicly proclaimed, you have publicly proclaimed that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and that you are placing faith in Christ for salvation. Remember Ephesians 2. Part of that confession is that you have belonged to a people that have identified themselves as enemies of God. As a Christian, you have, you have confessed to that, that that is true of you. It's liter- by asking Christ for forgiveness of sin, you're also asking to belong to a new people group. It's literally like changing the people group that you belong to. Part of the clear call to follow Jesus is to embrace the people of Jesus. I know other churches gather at different days and at different times, but Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 are the prime times that Connection Church invites the world to see us as we rehearse the gospel together. And the main place that the world sees what God is doing in our midst is when we gather together and demonstrate love for one another. We see that clearly in John 13, 34 through 35. So one way the church displays who they are and why they exist is by how we rehearse the gospel when we gather, but also by how we, characteristic number two, celebrate. Think about this. Nothing reveals what is important to a person as much as what they celebrate and even how they celebrate. For the church, we celebrate salvations, the Lord's Supper, baptisms, singing in worship, people taking next steps, success in missions. In other words, how we celebrate should point us back to who we are and why we exist. Finally, as we rehearse the gospel together and as we celebrate God's ability to redeem, we also, number three, stage. Here's a very practical how for us as a church. A church puts its why and who on display by giving stage to the Holy Spirit. Now, Brandon warned me that this was going to be potentially the most confusing thing, and I didn't articulate it super clear at the time when I described it to him. So forgive me if this doesn't make any sense, but I, I really want it to. I really want it to. Here's why. Because giving stage to the Holy Spirit may be one of the things that we as Connection Church do the best. We do this incredibly well. When the church gathers, what we are doing is inviting the Holy Spirit to come and do in our midst today, right now, without delay, Holy Spirit, come and do everything that we believe that God has power to do. By Christians leaving their homes, traveling to a meeting location, embracing this relationship with people that they may have nothing in common with otherwise, lifting high the name of Jesus in songs and in teaching with those people that they may have nothing in common with. Listen, we are doing a most uncommon thing. Friend, think about this. The type of unity seen in the church and the praise of God seen in the church and this dedication to scripture that we have in this church, those things are done in a belief of a savior who sits on a throne in heaven 
And understand this, by participating in something that is not of this world, we are inviting he who is not of this world to come and do something that only he can do. When we gather on Sunday morning, we are giving the stage. Literally, we are surrendering this time to the Holy Spirit to come and move yet again. When people who do not know or worship Jesus come into our gatherings and see our love for one another, they are also seeing us invite by his Holy Spirit. They are also seeing us invite God by his Holy Spirit to cause the realities of heaven to occur in our midst. And this isn't a hard thing for us to imagine here at Connection Church. We have been given the stage to the Holy Spirit for years. Think of all the lives that we have seen changed in this church. Think of all of the baptisms that we have seen. Think of all the times that we've taken the Lord's Supper together. Think of all of the sermons. Think of all of the invitations that we've had where people have come to the front. And I'll tell you what, if you won't remember them, then I will. Because this church invited the Holy Spirit to come and move in our midst. And I gave my life to Christ right over in Greenhaven Trailer Park because a group of guys decided to give that single wide trailer stage to the Holy Spirit to do something that they couldn't do. And I don't know about the two dozen other people that got baptized the day that I did, but Jesus changed my life that day. And that pool wouldn't have been available if some member of this church didn't give the stage to the Holy Spirit at their home to see young people's lives changed. We have been giving the stage to the Holy Spirit and it may be the best thing that we do at this church of inviting people to have their lives changed. I'm gonna start sweating like Brandon up here if I don't stop. Let me conclude our time this way. I wanna give two very clear invitations for us this morning. Today, we've talked about who the church is and why we exist. I've sought to convince you because of this incredible and substantial implications of who we are and why we exist, that gathering with the church is one of the most meaningful uses of your life and participating with God's people to fulfill God's mission and fill the earth with God's glory is the single greatest use of your life. Every minute, every hour, every day spent giving yourself to this purpose will be time well spent. And I started this sermon recognizing that our hurts fuel our distrust or our rejection of the church. But my friend, I hope that you see that God's wisdom and love for the church is more worthy than our frustration. Brothers and sisters, your frustration is with sinful people. And while your wounds are real, I wanna be really clear, your wounds are real. God's love and design of the church is something that calls us into a greater purpose. And that purpose comforts our hurts and it calms our frustration because we understand the achieving of God's goals are worth the wounds. And when we feel those wounds the most, I want you to understand this. When we feel those wounds from the church the most, when we feel the wounds and the hurts of this life the most, we look to Christ hanging on a cross and we realize that we have a God that suffered as we suffer and that should comfort us. My invitation to you this morning is for you to let a second thought correct a first thought, this idea of repentance that we've been talking about as a church. For the Christian, if you have been living with a low view of the church, if you have felt frustrated 
with the church, or if you've had wounds that have kept you from being all in with the church, if you know that you've been holding yourself back from the people of God, the invitation is to let today's thought about who you are and why you exist to replace that low view of the church. I invite you to acknowledge God's wisdom and setting the church apart as his means of proclaiming the mystery of Christ and let the Holy Spirit begin to heal the wounds that you've experienced from the church or from any wounds in your life. I'm gonna give us a moment to let that breathe, to give the stage to the Holy Spirit, to let him come and comfort wounds and to let us correct a first thought with a second thought that the church is worth our investment. And for anyone here that has not asked Jesus to be their savior, if you don't have an existing and ongoing relationship with Christ, then the invitation is for you to place faith in Christ and surrender to him as your savior. You've been living with this first thought that this life is primarily about you. And I want you to replace that second thought with this grand, incredible story about a savior who has suffered on our behalf, that we could live on a glorious mission with him and for him. I invite you to join this story this morning by surrendering your life to Christ. I'll be down front. I'm, I'm inviting any uh, connectors that would to come and, and just be a host to people as they respond in this moment. If you wanna pray with somebody to process uh, what it is that you've heard this morning, if you wanna give your life to Christ, I wanna invite connectors to come forward and to be ready to receive people to, um, to pray with and to pray with people. But what I'm gonna do is I'm going to pause in this moment and just let this sit and invite the Holy Spirit to come. And then I'll come back up and pray and we will be dismissed.